No, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Hello, everyone. This is Queer and Dumb. I am Tom Lomas. I am uh, dumb. And I'm Jamie McDonald, and I am queer. So how uh, queer are you? On a scale of what? I would guess, like, school grades. Would you get an A? Yeah, I, I think at this point I get a, I get an A, definitely. You've been on our national newspaper and everything. Yeah, I, I've been openly... I've been revealed to be gay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying that you get an F if you're in the closet or <laughs> This one no. did the weird start. No, I guess, yeah. But also just the amount of gay that you can be should should also be like, we need a scale for that. Yes. Like, so can I tell you what I did? Uh, I think you're going to tell me anyway, so yeah. This is not LGBT related, but I just want to tell you, I angered the Finnish uh, boomers who are pro-Putin. Sorry, who who are those? <laughs> There's some uh, some of the boomers, yeah. are because of our time with uh, Russia, like during the Cold War, a small portion of them, but still some support like the Kremlin and whatever. So anyway, I was uh, hosting a demonstration, a riot in the parliament stairs, like for three hours, just right. uh, asking different speakers and whatever. Then um, we had great speakers, dozens of great speakers, and one of them was pro-Kremlin. And he said that... Uh, the reason, because it was against the government cuts. Government is cutting money from the poorest portion of the population. And the guy said that uh, the workers are now in trouble because of the unfair blockade of uh, Russia, trade blockade, since 2014. Hmm. That's his theory. My theory, which I said when I went on right after him, I made the crowd shout uh, Slava Ukraini. <laughs> and after they shouted that three times, I made them shout uh, because the um, name of the demonstration was uh, a no to cruel cuts. Yeah. So I said no to cruel war of aggression. Mm. So I made people shout that again. And then the photographer, one of the photographers of the event came up to me really angry, like, how is this about Ukraine? So I said, I'm just responding to the previous speaker. Mm-hmm. And then during the next break, there were a couple of breaks, these angriest and oldest people I've seen in quite a while uh, lectured me about how Zelensky is the problem and everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know, like, what do you reply to someone who's going to die? <laughs> I mean, uh, wh- where uh, where does the boomer support for the Kremlin come from? Like, is that very old school? Statistically, the left-wing people in Finland are more anti-Kremlin than the center people or the right-wing people. But there are organized left-wing people still, and they're mostly in the older population. Oh, so right, like the, so we're talking about like kind of actual communists. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. From, they were, they had some power in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, And back then they were called Teistalaiset. International, they would be called tankies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So, boomer tankies. And wow. tankies comes from the word, like, when the Soviet Union sent tanks to Prague. Mm. These were the people who were like, this is good. Yeah, yeah. Finally, a strong leader against the capitalist right. United States. I don't know where they really come from, mm-hmm. but I'm so happy I made them angry. And there were three of them there. There were quite a few of them since they uh, consolidate their power. There's not a lot of them in existence, but they move in packs <laughs> and they go to demonstrations. Yeah, and they would demonstrate against the cuts. Yes, they yeah, would demonstrate. That's, that's a natural Other than place that, for them they be. go to demonstrations because no one listens to just them. Yeah. So they have to go to other people's things and send one of them to speak, sort of like a tryout. 
So the speaker they sent was trying out the trade blockade message. Mm, mm. But this is not about the LGBT or kind of the Russia situation isn't the best. Well, do you know what? If we think about today's subject, we're going to I think we, we, we can talk about Russia in that context. We can maybe come back to it. Today's subject is fake gay solidarity, a.k.a. pinkwashing. Pinkwashing. Let's start with the news. So I've told you about pro-Kremlin left-wing people. I will now tell you about LGBT conservatives. <laughs> okay. All kinds of great people. LGBT conservatives in Britain are accused of spreading misinformation with their puberty blockers podcast. How do you get a puberty blockers podcast? Like who's the sponsor? They have a podcast about puberty blockers? I'm guessing it's just one topic. Oh, one episode. Okay. And, just and this is like the young young conservatives or the gay conservatives? The gay cis men have a podcast yeah. and they were talking about how it is bad that puberty blockers are being given to trans teenagers. Wait, is this the wait, was the name of this podcast Never Kissed a Tory? Yes. Oh my god, it is the best name for a podcast. You know, fuck these guys, but great podcast name. <laughs> it is possible to it's have. It's seriously good. Uh but but okay, so uh, yeah, so if I'm guessing what their claims were, I would say puberty blockers are irreversible. Uh, experimental. This person on the podcast went on to claim that puberty blockers can prevent trans people from being able to achieve a full orgasm in adulthood. Hmm. And he also said that uh, they can lead to a micro penis. Hmm. So these are claims that are around. They're being thrown around, but not in the medical community. The no. medical community hasn't found any any of these claims to be yeah. true in any sort of way. So why are these conservative uh, uh, gay people spreading medical information that has no proof? That's just a hunch. I mean, for my part, you could have stopped the question at why are these conservative gay people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but puberty blockers, as far as I know, they've been been used since like the 1980s, before that even. And what they were used for at that time, and they're still used for, is precocious puberty. So, what is a precocious puberty? So puberty, precocious puberty is when you're seven or eight years old and you're oh, hitting puberty. Okay. And then they look at you at the doctors and go, oh, fuck, I don't think you should be going through this right yet. Let's put you on this stuff that slows down or stops the, the puberty from, it stops the onset of puberty. And then when it's appropriate for puberty to happen, we'll take you off the blockers and poof, there you go. The knowledge I have from this article is that statistically they save trans people's uh, lives. Yeah, that's also quite possible. Because there's less uh, suicides among the trans people who are given those because there's less mental illnesses and stuff I like that. I guess what that must be about is that Look, I really think it's actually pretty hard to be a trans kid. In a way, it was easier for me to be a trans kid because I didn't know I was a trans kid and nobody really knew about that. So I didn't have anything to kind of measure myself up against. But if I was 8 or 11 or 12 and puberty was starting and I knew or I had a strong hunch that I should not be doing this puberty, I would be really distressed. 
So, I mean, puberty. You're going through a change that is wrong for you. Yeah, but you also know about it. Like, yeah. at the time when I th went through puberty, I don't think I was particularly thrilled, but I didn't have a sense of I could do something about this. So, I didn't have the same kind of anxiety about it. Like, of course, we didn't have the same level of kids being very distraught about going through puberty if they are perceiving that the puberty they're going through is not the one they should be going through because we didn't have kids who knew about this before. So less information kept you less distraught. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was much happier to be ignorant, I think, in this sense. There's uh, one sentence that hits close to home. The, the critic of this said that people shouldn't look to political podcasts for their information on trans healthcare. And we're doing a podcast. We're talking about healthcare. So for the love of God, everyone just don't. We're not an authority on anything. No. If, you, if you have any idea, <laughs> if you get any ideas from this podcast, uh, use the authorities. Like in this case, that would be the NHS because it's British news. And I mean, the idea of the can't achieve full orgasm and the potential micropenis and all of these scare things. I find it really interesting that they're these Tory gays are really all of a sudden very kind of invested in trans people's sexual health. Are, in your experience, cis gay men a bit on the older side, are they genuinely interested in the health of trans people, like from what you've experienced? They are absolutely not a monolith, I have to say that, okay, because cool. they are different people with different opinions, really. And there are some who are... <laughs> I don't want to talk to them about it because I'm not I'm not going to have a good time. I and can imagine other ones, such a person. Yeah, yeah, and there's others who are you know really up to date with all the information who are activists, and then there's people who are kind of in the middle who are just like, yeah, whatever's good, just make it as long as nobody's hurting anybody else. Then yeah, it's fine. There's so much kind of fraught history because this is the weird the weird argument that's coming out of a lot of gay people or lesbian people who are, and I suppose even bisexual people who are hostile to trans people or who don't think that there should be more trans people than there already are. Jesus. They have this idea that, oh yeah, this like one academic actually said that the goal should be to reduce the number of trans people. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's kind of rhetoric that doesn't sound very that, good. You that know? sounds like Goebbels. A little bit, yeah. But that's a, that is one of the UK academics who has been deplatformed and cancelled and so cancelled that she gets to write, you know, huge books about how cancelled she is. You never hear, we should minimize the amount of straight people we have. Yeah. <laughs> Would well, that be a winning argument on the politics? Jesus Christ. Yeah. They feel that so many trans people, if left without the opportunity to be trans or without the opportunity to, to transition or without any of this knowledge they would eventually grow up to be gays or lesbians or bisexual people. I mean, this doesn't, this doesn't work for me because I transitioned to gay. I didn't go the other way. But they're convinced that it's homophobic to encourage people to be trans because then they're losing cisgender gay and lesbian people. That's so weird. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Yeah. How common is it that you meet someone who thinks that they're genuinely sympathetic about trans people and still see them as failures. They would be better 
off if for some reason they hadn't transitioned? That is actually surprisingly common. It's common because a lot of people think that a cisgender body, if you could choose, a cisgender body would be better to have than a transgender body, or a cisgender life would be better to have than a transgender life. I don't subscribe to that at all anymore. I did because I had internalized transphobia that I had to work with like everybody else does. But you do meet a lot of people who, or they give you the thought experiment, like if you could take a pill that would make you cisgender, would you take it? And I don't like that question in general, just because it brings up this idea that there's a value judgment to being cisgender. And like, I, I don't, I don't care if somebody has a, a cis body or a trans body, as long as they're using it to protest. I would choose the body I'd feel most comfortable in. Yeah. That would be the best life. I think so, yeah. For me. And questions like that are uh, weaselly. Yeah. There are these questions that are on the surface technically fine. Yeah, exactly. And still fucking disgusting. They have a bad assumption at the root of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it's really, really common for people to say, oh, uh, this is why the compliment, you're so brave, is a little bit backhanded because the only reason why transgender people have to be brave or why queer people have to be brave is because they are in a hostile environment. Yeah. People don't see them as fully human in cisgender heteronormative people. Conservative people don't see them as fully human sometimes, not everybody. When you say, oh, you're so brave, then you're acknowledging that this is, you're doing something to make yourself less and you're embracing it. And I could never because it must it be so hard. It was so brave of you, Jamie, to lose your original physical body. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I turned around and it was gone. <laughs> Somebody fucking stole it. Yeah. Doctors. So uh, those are our news. Let's get to the topic. Pink washing, a.k.a. fake gay solidarity. What is the problem here? Someone is pretending to like you. You, Jamie. Someone <laughs> is pretending to like you. They might even give you money. They don't really like you. Mm. How is that? Uh, what's the problem there? Mm, the problem is that they're using me in this example in order to make themselves look better to other people. Is it a time that they could spend actually learning to like you? Or giving money to causes that I would appreciate. What's, let's start historically. I've heard that it started with uh, Israel. Like the concept of pinkwashing right. started with Israel. How did it go? Also, disclaimer, I'm not international relations expert by any means, but I have a basic grasp of pinkwashing in context with Israel and Palestine, which is that Israel has... The state of Israel has marketed itself as a gay-friendly place to be. And in fact, they do have progressive LGBTQ politics. They do have quite a lot of... Basically, Israel is the safest place to be for a gay person just on the basis of being gay in that area of the world. So yeah. they do have progressive policies. So one side of pinkwashing in this sense is that when they bring up the fact that they are a progressive, gay-friendly country, then it makes them look to the West more Western. Yeah. So Western people go, ah, they are like us. 
Western people who are not Jews, obviously, will look at them and go, ah, they're like us. They're democratic. They're progressive. They have the same values. We all have the same values. So we align with them, especially when they look at a lot of the other countries in the region where homosexuality can be a crime, even punishable by death. Let's say you have an open-air prison of two million people. Right. And you want to take the conversation somewhere else. Yep. So if they use the gay community to take the conversation somewhere else, is that uh, hurtful towards the gay community? It depends who you are in the gay community, but I think, thankfully, that this has been recognized as a thing where certainly a lot of people in the queer community do not want to see apartheid justified or swept under the rug in their own name. Just because I can go to a place and be safe as a queer person, it doesn't mean that there is, it makes it okay that there is uh, an open air prison with two yeah. million people in it. So pinkwashing is also, it's very, I've become a little bit more radical on, I don't know, radical, I've become a little bit more entrenched in this idea as I've gone on, because I remember at years and years ago, if... I had been invited to speak at a conference or to perform or something like that in Israel. I would have been like, hey, yeah, because I want to see every single country on the planet. I love to travel. I love to see everything. I love every place on earth. I want to go there. And when was this about when you would have been like, sure, I'll go to Israel? To I would have been like it. 10 years ago. Yeah. So even I knew the situation, but even despite that i have i'm not one of those people who necessarily will limit my international travel to the countries where i feel safe or to where i agree with the politics yeah it takes a lot like i don't know if you have any of those where like there's places that you would not go because of the politics and i don't mean like necessarily war zone because like that's that's kind of a different it would feel weird to use my hard earned euros to feed the economy of an apartheid state. Yeah. I have friends who won't go to the US. Yeah. And they won't they won't give the US their money. And like I want to go to Budapest, I want to go to Istanbul, but my partner's like no, we're not going there until the current regime is out and my thinking is often like hey, there are queer people living there, we can find their places and we can give them money, but uh, I you know, I lose this argument. These questions are so tough. The hardest question for me is the smaller evil. If I was in the United States of America, yeah. would I vote for like a Hillary Clinton? Right, yeah. Or a third party person who has no chance? Right, yeah, yeah. That would be incredibly tough. Yeah. And this seems like a question of a smaller evil. Like if I take the pink washing money, mm -hmm. I can do something good for it. It's still, it would feel dirty. Sort of. Yeah. At this point, for instance, if Israel would invite me to go there and perform, I would say no, partially because I would be furious the entire time. Yeah. There's no way that I could just square that in my own mind. I just, I just wouldn't be able to do it. Having said that, I want to go there and I want to go there and see the people and I want to go there and experience what the culture is like. I really do. Hear um. that, boomers? Your <laughs> politics can improve as you age. <laughs> but, not all boomers. Not all boomers. <laughs> but and then and then the other question is, of course, like the safety question. When I travel, uh, there's I've been invited to go to events in places like Dubai. Yeah. 
again, I really wanted to go. I was kind of on the on the verge of going. And the thing is for me, because if I don't tell people I'm trans, usually they don't figure it out. Unless they really know what they're looking for. I pass really well. You know, thank you, genetics and testosterone. But someone pointed out to me once, you know, I was like, what's the risk factor? Because I can always just not be openly queer when I'm there. I, if I'm there to do something else, I can do that thing and I just don't have to say anything about being gay or being trans and I'll be fine. Then my friend pointed out, so what happens in the event that there's a medical emergency? Oh. What happens if you're unconscious? That was the thing that made me go, oh no. Because I've never been knocked unconscious, like either in a fight or accident. It never happened to me, but it's definitely within possibility that it happens. I fainted in uh, the army since it was, I was carrying too much and it was too hot. So I just fainted. Yeah. That's my one experience. Okay. Um, pink washing. Can you tell me some experiences where you've uh, done it? You've been a participant in pink washing. And can you tell somewhere something that where you've said no? I'm trying to figure out what is okay and what isn't. Well, the things that I have participated in that I've wondered about, but then I've gone, mm, I don't know, is mostly the kind of corporate pinkwashing, which I don't think is anywhere near as egregious as the homonationalism and... What uh, is homonationalism? Right. So homonationalism is something that goes kind of along with pinkwashing. Yep. Homonationalism is the idea that sexuality can be... Ideology of sexuality can be linked with a nationalist ideology. So what happens... It's a kind of dynamic, and what happens in this dynamic, for example, is that a country that is good to LGBTQ people is seen as, you know, Western and progressive and democratic. And then a country, you know, predominantly it's being used for against Muslim countries to say that this country is not progressive towards gay people. They murder their gay people. Therefore, they are bad immigrants and they should not be allowed into our country. And there's this kind of also this parallel thing that happens where homosexuals all around the planet should have solidarity with each other because like they're all it's almost like gays are in the same country. And and when when a country like the US does something like even though they don't have actually very good laws and records for queer rights, they will use worse records of other countries as yeah. a way of keeping those countries down and perpetuating racism. So it's sort of like, hello, gay person, you are the citizen of a gayness, hence you should uh, look at nations based on how they treat gay people and uh, yeah. not look at uh, if they do insane drone strikes or have an open-air prison. or. And the U.S. perpetuates this just as much of course yeah but and then it also gets into this then comes back to like russia and ukraine where russia is also a country that severely limits its queer people and wildly yes i had a really weird experience when i was in riga i was there for a theater show it was about a gay and trans wedding it was very cool it was a co-production between finnish and danish and and latvian artists it was it was lots of fun very well attended I had a lot of fun in Riga, but I also kept running into, I kept seeing kids 25 and under, and so many of these kids in Riga 
to me, they were queer coded. And by that, I mean, like, I looked at them and thought, that's probably a queer kid because the way that they dressed, exactly, uh, they did all. And then I started looking around. I'm like, there's nobody queer coded over the age of 35. And there's tons of queer coded people under the age of 25. And I'm looking around going, is this, I think this is a question of geopolitics in that because Russia is so anti-LGBTQ. Latvia wants to be pro. Yes. Or the younger generation, then then it it becomes not just a question of identity in terms of sexual identity, but in terms of like who you're aligning yourself with in the West or the East. How do you feel about the Latvian youth acting gay to show the middle finger to this uh, Russia. I'm cool with it. You're cool with it? I'm really cool with it. I don't find that to be pink washing at all. I'm like, that's solidarity. Sounds all right. Yeah. What's the difference between solidarity and pink washing? Ah, okay. Good question. Pink washing has an ulterior motive. So like this is kind of the point also with the homonationality is this idea that I, for instance, the idea that I, as a gay person, should support, for instance, Israel because they have my back and forgetting the idea that I can have solidarity with Palestinians and not be just racist towards them, completely separate from my own sexuality. Yeah. Right. So there's no other motive except for solidarity with Palestinians, not because I want to be like the ulterior motive for uh, that is claimed sometimes is that the ulterior motive for showing solidarity with Palestinians is that you're anti-Semitic. It's not an anti-Semitic thing. It's a solidarity yeah. with Muslims, especially in the context of queer politics, because constantly Muslim people are vilified on the basis of their country's attitudes towards gay people, yeah. which is not to say there's not a fuck ton of homophobia and transphobia. In those countries. But I also feel that like they're regular people and regular people, if they're not being bombed, will eventually get some pretty decent politics. Mostly people want the same things. If there's a person who's like 15 or whatever, yeah. and they've been taught to be not that tolerant towards gay people, that's terrible. That's terrible. But nowhere does it say that you should then support bombing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what's kind of being asked. It's like, well... The know, ask is really big. Yes, it is. And the, But you see this on Twitter right now all the time. If you have a queer person who is in support of Palestine, there will be comments underneath that tweet about this is what Hamas would do to you. And it's a picture of a dead person. Yeah. For instance. That's really common on Twitter right now. This idea that because somebody is homophobic, that they deserve to be genocided. It's the dumbest idea ever. And the people who are saying that, either uh, quite a few of them can be actually homophobic or they're like 10 years away or like one generation away from being. Since the Western tolerant attitudes towards homophobia uh, arrived yesterday. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've really seen did. them arrive. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I've been a part of them not arriving in yeah. my lifetime, you know. Yeah, you've stopped them from arriving with yes. your attitudes. Yeah, yeah. I've, so yeah. the same way you had anti-LGBT attitudes and you grew out of them, Yeah. people in Palestine can as well. Yeah. You weren't bombed to death. No. No. So that's uh, homo-nationalism 
and that's the difference between solidarity and pink washing. I'm still trying. To, uh, yeah, but sure. there's so. If, but then if we look at like maybe if we look at the commercial side of pink washing, which happens maybe a little bit more here. You know, I've been a part of advertising campaigns. I've done a voiceover for a very. Uh, Rainbow advertising happy beer brand in Finland. Was it good money? It could have been better, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Now <laughs> That's that I'm, the regret. Now that I'm thinking That's about how big the it, regret. Yeah. it was. A good, it was a yeah. good campaign. That's the thing. I saw it was a good campaign, and this is a very kind of interesting place to be because obviously the more corporate entities show their support for Pride, Generally, I would say the safer I feel in that environment. I'm also annoyed because I don't want to see these flags everywhere. Like, drives me absolutely bonkers. All June, I'm like, oh, put them just. Why oh. do the rainbow flags drive you bonkers? Because there's because they can be so inauthentic. You know, it's just slap the sticker on, sell more things. Hey, we're good people. I'd actually like to know what are you doing for real? What are you doing? to make things better other than slapping on a rainbow sticker and saying, yeah, we don't tolerate, we don't tolerate homophobia or transphobia in our company. Meanwhile, the gay and lesbian and queer and trans people who work for those companies have a shitty time with some guy in IT or a woman in accounting or with the CEO. You know, it, that's really quite normal is that a lot of companies will say that they're very inclusive and then they won't actually put their money where their mouth is. What could those companies do better? First, they could probably just listen to the needs of the employees who actually work for them. And then another thing is, actually, this was very weird when I was looking, you know, and I was reading up, I found a bachelor's thesis uh, in marketing from Helia Haga, actually, so a Finnish. One of the bigger schools like that you take after high school. Right. And uh, not university, but like sort of half. Yeah. And this was a bachelor's thesis, so not necessarily the most rigorous out there, but a really, really interesting take on how to avoid the pitfalls of pinkwashing. And how to do corporate social responsibility. And there was really, really interesting things from the the surveys that they had done where they had talked about how millennials, especially, like an overwhelming majority of them, expect to see corporate social responsibility as part of any brand that they're working with. Mm. And they expect to see pride marketing. But then they had all these different ads that they rated in terms of like, how authentic or inauthentic they felt and how much they would um, increase or decrease the likelihood that they would buy something from that company. And it was really, really interesting because the inauthentic stuff was like the Burger King ad where it there was a cartoon of Ronald McDonald and Burger King making out. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that at Pride last year or something like that. Yeah, they're kissing. And you, you, you don't really see, you see the back of Ronald McDonald's head, but you know who it is. How would you feel if they were fucking? I mean, that would be, <laughs> actually, I think that would be much more authentic because it would be so out there. That we'd be like, yeah, you go. That's like, get you it, go, girl. Ronald. Get it, girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then the worst thing you can do in an ad is to use the language. 
like Yas or, you know, Slay. Everyone hates that. Uh, rappers, uh, I met some rappers in the uh, entertainment industry, and when uh, a reporter comes up to them like, yo, 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 everybody hates that when someone imitates yeah, their yeah, speech. Yeah. yeah, And the best things that you could do were donate to causes that furthered LGBTQ safety or whatever. And the second best thing you could do was sponsor Pride events. And then the worst thing you could do is just use the language and kind of have something that you could make kind of make a joke out of. And it's sort of also interesting that in these surveys, nobody really liked any of the ads. And there was never But they any... expect them. Yeah, yeah. And it was a question it's it's a lesser evil again yeah. too. It's like you know what there was a ad from the body shop and it was just two guys in a bath and they've got a lot of bubbles around them. They're just having a bath. One's got his arm around the other guy and that's it. That was the most authentic one people saw because they were like, yep, this is how people are. It's just a normal ad, except there's two men in it, blah, blah, Some people thought it was stereotypical. Somebody apparently thought it was homophobic. So, you know, you're going to always have people who think it, it's the opposite of what they intend. But then, yeah, Pride every single year has this problem of it gets very expensive, especially when there's like 60,000 people marching for Pride and they're all going to need toilets somewhere. Yeah. And a modicum of security wherever that happens to be hired. But all that stuff costs money. What are some, we don't have to name the bad ones. Can you name like a good pride sponsor who, like a company that's been there and been authentic and uh, the company treats their employees well regardless of whatever. Are there some good examples? Hmm. A lot of the most longstanding pride sponsors will be actually queer-owned businesses. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, because you got, like, Barefoot Wine and Proud Optico, the opticians. Yeah. And other places like that. Klaus K Hotel, they are year-round. They build themselves as a gay-friendly hotel. Interestingly enough, uh, one of the sponsors of Helsinki Pride has traditionally been the State of Israel. Mm. Have you known this? No, I have no clue. They have their own float. Yeah. And they often have their own tent at Pride. And it's tourism. It's basically an advertisement for come to Israel because you can be a tourist safely there. Do you think the situation will be different next year unless some improvement is seen in this? I'd be very interested to see whether that changes or not. That was actually the source of a campaign. There was a protest about that, but I think that was in 2012 yeah, uh, or something like that. But yeah, every single year when I see the tent from the state of Israel, I just think, okay, I don't see any other countries marketing themselves here. This is a lot. A lot of money is being spent on it. I know that Eurovision is a camp. And uh, a camp is uh, popular among a part of the LGBTQIA+. Do you see pink washing in Eurovision? Oh, that's really interesting. Is it more popular among the gay people? Than I think the... so. Yes. Yeah. I I mean because I have... of the campiness. Yes, or... yeah. I have. Yes, I have this idea that like Eurovision is one of the one of the gay things that straight people can enjoy. You know, like Mardi Gras. The pride before pride, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's so camp, or like, you know, WWE wrestling. Yeah. It's super camp, but it's straight. 
Oh, that's true. Wrestling is wrestling is basically men being extremely straightforward with their emotions. It's straight camp. Yeah, hundred percent. But Eurovision is Eurovision is so big that it ends up being mostly heterosexual. But in its heart, it's very gay. Do you see pink washing there? That some countries try a bit too hard to hide their stuff. Or? Oh, do you remember Tattoo doing? All the things she said. Was it that track? Uh, Tattoo from Russia. Yeah, from Russia. That was, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Oh, that track is old, and I am old. But there was this weird moment there where they were on stage, and in the video they have a kiss or in like it was rumored that they were going to kiss on stage. They didn't do it live, which was really annoying but cowards yes really yeah i mean they're the ones who have to go back yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and who knows what the deal was with that i was never a fan of the finnish entry ding dong whatever it was uh the year that there was the marriage equality was it 2013 2014 around there not really up with my eurovision but Don't make ding me dong is the worst <laughs> name I've heard for anything. Da, 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 ding, da. It's With like an Mar- LGBT it, song? Or? Yeah, it was Marry Me Baby. Oh, Marry Me Baby, yeah. Yeah, and this song, it was really, okay, it really divided my friends because a lot of my friends were like, it's a celebration of marriage equality in Finland. It's great to see that. I love seeing gay marriage openly danced about and sung about on the stage of Eurovision because it's such a big event. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. But for me, it was like the lyrics are something along the lines of, I'll change my last name, I'll do the walk of shame, something, something, yada, yada. And I was just... I The it, walk it was, of shame. It was all very heteronormative ideas of marriage. And it was supposed to be... The song doesn't have anything gay in it, in the lyrics. Yeah. But the timing of it... Oh, so you need to get the reference. Not all countries know when Finland got their I'm sure gay that, marriage. I'm sure that during Eurovision, everybody, you know, it was all announced and that. But then I think that Conchita Wurst, why are we talking about Eurovision? <laughs> yes. Conchita Wurst was the real deal at the yeah. same time. Yeah. So Conchita Wurst, uh, that's not any kind of washing booth. You have a person doing doing what they do, mm-hmm. but that's a good way to raise awareness. I think so. Yeah. I'm still sort of trying to get the differences. How does how can one be authentic? Is it that when someone is pinkwashing, like a corporation's pinkwashing and they make an ad, it's bad because they're looking at the gay community from sort of like straight eyes. That's the embarrassing part. Yeah. When they make something from straight eyes and then Everybody in the queer community goes, ooh, no, you didn't. It looks embarrassing, you know, because we understand that there's a good, there's, you know, somebody's heart is behind that and they really do feel like they want to be supportive. But just in the sort of way of like people will say like, you're so brave and not realize that it has actually whole other connotations. They haven't gone and kind of checked it with queer people to go, is this... And also queer people, not a monolith. They're going to have so many different reactions. But also corporations are kind of stuck between like a rock and a hard place, right? Because... You have sympathy. Yeah, you have to. You should be advertising. Advertising is how you get your brand out, right? So any kind of communication is going to be advertising. Yeah. Even if it's just a message of solidarity and you donated money, that is seen as advertising because it is marketing your brand. So there's no way for them to communicate that isn't marketing. And then if they want to have solidarity during Pride Month, then 
it's a good thing, but then it's also a cringe thing. I'm wondering how a company spends a lot of money on something, an ad or a sponsorship or something, and they don't consult with a queer person. Have you run into this phenomenon where the straights are like, we know about them gays, we know how to market to the gays or talk to the gays, we don't have to consult a queer person? I'm sure there are tons of examples. I'm thinking about where was the, whose slogan was the love is love thing? I feel like that was, was that American? But it was also part of same-sex marriage campaigns. For some reason, love is love is only, like, queers make fun of it now. Okay. It's seen in the same kind of vibe as live, laugh, love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so we're like, oh, okay. It's like kids speak. Or just, you know, a Karen has written this, you know, there's a white wall and somebody has written on the kitchen wall, mounted in vinyl in a horrible font, love is love, and you're supposed to somehow be inspired by that every day. It's terrible. And I don't know why, I don't know what about it makes everybody just go, this thing sucks, even though we know there's nothing, like nothing bad was intended with that. You suggested this topic for an episode. I I mean, I get interested, but I was wondering, you must have some terrible, absolutely horrific example of pinkwashing in mind that sort of caused you some emotions. What's what's a really bad example? What I really started to think about with it this week was that I saw at least a few gay guys on and white European gay guys, cis gay guys on Instagram going just ham in their support for Israel. Yeah. And, you know, you look back in their feed and they holiday in Tel Aviv and just this idea that they were repeating these sentiments about how can you as a queer person not support Israel, which is absurd. These people who holiday next to an open air prison. Mm. It's a weird holiday. I feel so much also for the for the people in Israel as well who just are would rather Victims be of Hamas who would actually be you know living their lives and people who are always protesting Netanyahu who are trying to get him out of office who hate him and who re- recognize how how bad the politics are and yep. they're just trying to be there that's you know indefensible and utter shit my twitter exploded my instagram exploded everything went to this who you stand with, who you support. And of course I see a very big, you know, divide in my in my friend group where there's like most of the people I know are they want to bring in the entire context of Israel and Palestine. There's a lot of people who are very conservative or who don't know that they're this conservative who are blanketly standing with Israel. And then I have friends who are Jewish and uh, Israeli. I haven't heard from my Palestinian friends, but the ones from Israel who are just in an awful lot of pain. Yeah. And that's kind of what my social media feed looks like. But the way that some gay guys were just, I, I was like, this pinkwashing really worked on you, didn't it? Did you feel angry like this is not the time for homo nationalism? Or? It's kind of like, you know, just because 
you got your dick sucked in Tel Aviv yeah. doesn't mean you have a, any lived experience of the area because they're talking about it like they're, they're an authority. And it's like, no, 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 honey. <laughs> so that, that pissed me off an awful lot. And it's not all the white European gay guys I know. Definitely not. Yeah. There's a, you know. So you saw examples of successful pinkwashing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the term started. Nowadays, it's most often used with corporations. Yeah. Well, is there other use, like commercial use and nationalist use? I don't know. I'm not a massive expert anything beyond that. The thing you hear about the corporate a lot more, because that's what's going to touch most of us in our daily lives. And then there was kind of... I seem to remember that post 9-11 there was also this there was also this racial stereotyping or ethnic stereotyping uh, and religious stereotyping typing of Muslims that had to do with their purported anti-LGBT stances. And there was something also in Canada, but I can't remember what it was now. How effective is it to try to make a gay person anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim with this Israeli pinkwashing from your experience? Is it just a few people? Have you seen a lot of it, like successful pinkwashing? of gay people, LGBT? I would say I've seen a fair amount. Mostly party guys. Party guys. Yeah, mostly. Just because they're there to have a good time and they're not there to think too hard about what's going on. And, you know, if they already went there in the first place, then they have to have had a little bit of, you know, rationalization happening in their minds already to begin with. Since they so know if it gets challenged, going, it's going to go stronger. They're going to have a party at an apartheid state. Yeah. So you need to sort of figure that out in your brain before you Yeah, go. you have to like, you know, put everything in order so that you can do it. Yeah. So you would say pinkwashing isn't that effective uh, to people who have nuance. No. It's very effective to people who need a stick to beat, people who want to seem progressive but nevertheless have an idea about Muslims. If they They would, want a reason. Yes. They want a reason to hate. Yes. Yeah. And that seems to be a very good reason to hate Muslims, because look at what they're doing to the queers. Yeah. But we love the queers, so look at what they're doing. And it's the sort of thing where this is like the danger of having any kind of the homo-nationalism, of having, of having solidarity with other gay people no matter what, or having solidarity with people based on an identity is dangerous because it can stop you from building the moral argument from the ground up. Do you know what I mean? Tribalism removes nuance. Yeah, sure. I don't sound like the dumb one anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's just my influence, darling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. What have I forgot to ask you about pinkwashing? Or is there something you want to ask me about pinkwashing? Like my first ever time seeing it. Or... Yeah, I would say, did you know about it before this conversation? I knew about pinkwashing after the latest Star Wars. What? The Rise of Skywalker. What did they do? In the end, there was one scene where in the background you could see two women characters who never were given a name. I don't think they were given a name at okay. any point. Yeah. And these two women were kissing. Mm -hmm. And you could sort of see it quite easily. It wasn't like zoomed or anything. Yeah. But the composition of the screen was that you could see it. But the scene was extremely easy to cut. Yeah. So you can just figure out that... 
for the Chinese market, yeah. they don't even have to reshoot yeah. the scene. They can just cut it. I'm pretty sure they didn't show that scene in the Chinese market. Yeah, probably. So there was stuff about that. First of all, I was watching Star Wars, and I'm like, this is the worst film of lesbians. <laughs> and then you're on board. And then you're... Uh, I only had to wait like two and a half hours of pointless plotting well, to see lesbian. Good thing you didn't watch it in China. Yeah, the, then there would be nothing. Yeah. There would be nothing in the movie. Yeah. So I was like, well, what the hell? So, so I go on Google, and I'm like... And then I noticed that there's this thing called pinkwashing. Mm. And they're trying to seem progressive. Yeah. The Disney world has quite a few gay events. They have like gay days. Yeah. The, so the people were talking about that. They don't know how to feel. The gay community didn't know how to feel about it since it's nice to have it there. But it's so little that yeah. it's almost worse than nothing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is sort of like the the, the queer experience with a lot of media or a lot of encounters with straight things is that it was meant as a compliment and you can tell that but at the same time thanks a lot i guess the good examples have consultants yeah and this makes sense because in any movie you're gonna have consult like a war movie there's gonna be some lieutenant or something yeah so bound the wachowskis their first ever film, I think, Bound. They had a, a lesbian consultant telling how everyone, the actors and uh, the director, how lesbian sex works. I love, I love that so much. <laughs> That's so good. So the Wachowskis, uh, back then, they um, they hadn't transitioned yet, yeah. so they were men. Yeah. I don't know how many other movies have like a lesbian sex consultant. You know what? Now I need to know which ones do because that I that I think is like basically a whole film club should be <laughs> should be made on the basis of that. The sex scene in Bound is sort of a it kicked my puberty into such overdrive. <laughs> so. But okay, so here's the thing with like Disney is such a funny company too because they don't really come out that loudly and say that they're in support of queer rights. And the way that their employees are treated is another question. But on the other hand, if I look at the Disney Channel, there is so much content that is basically just unapologetically queer. Is Mulan queer-coded? Yes, but I haven't seen it, so I can't really... Okay. But as far as I know, she's basically a massive tomboy to the point of... Hiding it. Yeah. Trans boy icon... Yeah. Yeah. I never saw it. It probably would have, you know, resonated with me a lot, which is probably why I avoided it. <laughs> when they're like, oh, thanks. I don't need oh, to see yeah. that. It's too close to the <laughs> too truth. Too close to home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's gay references in Disney. The biggest one the I'm guessing is The Little Mermaid, Ursula. It's divine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a that's, I mean, that's queer just, icon. Yeah. And Hans Christian Andersen as well, the original okay. uh, writer of Little Mermaid. I was unaware. At least queer. Yeah. Possibly also, there are questions about whether or not Hans Christian Andersen was in fact trans. This is completely... There's some lore. Uh, and I mean, you know, we gotta then, go through... then you start to read Little Mermaid, you know, getting mm. uh, getting the human feet and becoming, uh, you know, without the voice and everything. It's like, oh, okay, there's a lot going on there. But the transformation also caused something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to... So, that's almost our episode. We have one more segment, uh, which is called Upsetero. Mm-hmm. Every time we find a hetero who is the most ludicrously upset about LGBT stuff. And this time, it's no longer a U.S. Republican. This time, it's a sofa. Oh, oh no. 
Dig it up. This is the IKEA sofa, isn't it? IKEA Canada made an ugly, judgmental bisexual couch. <laughs> oh, no. How do I know that the couch is straight? Because an upsetero has to be a hetero. No gay person, no gay couch would make a message this awkward. That's what I'm thinking. That just tells me you've never been on, on gay Tumblr. Oh, that's uh, that's true. So I'm um, I'm still nominating this couch. So this straight. says when you change or to and nobody believes you, or it says when you change nobody or to and believes you, depending on how you read the sofa. But yeah, uh, when you change or to and nobody believes you, that's bisexual erasure. Right. Yeah. So the sofa is trying to be on your side, trying to make a point, but still being wildly judgmental. But wasn't this like a line from a poem that the artist had written way back? Know. Yeah, this was like, this is why it's also very like, oh no. It's a line from a poem about bisexual erasure that the artist wrote. And that's why it, <sighs> I mean, spoken word poetry does not belong on a sofa. This is the one IKEA product where you should be missing a piece. Incredible. This one, I mean, the hands one, the bisexual one is incredible. Truly incredible. Some uh, of them are ugly as sin, and two of them I would have in my house. Of the love seats. Yes. The IKEA Pride Collection. Oof. This particular couch we're talking about has just an endless amount of hands. Like to speak, like hundreds, hundreds of hands on it. So a judgmental text in the pillows... And everywhere else, just uh, endless amounts of hands. I wouldn't take a nap. <laughs> I mean, it's meant to be emotionally vulnerable and something you connect with. And it, no, it's just emo and terrible. Oh, it looks like a lot of vomit. This collection that they had, it was, uh, they're mostly not that great, I don't think. But I guess you couldn't buy any of these. The collection is called Love Seats. Okay. Why not... Fuck coach. <laughs> because nobody's fucking on any of these coaches. <laughs> but you said you couldn't buy any of these. How come? Uh, because it's a concept. It's not a, it, they're not actually in stores. It's a campaign. So they made pictures of products they don't have. Yeah. There's a fake judgmental coach. I mean, it's really done by an artist. So they hired artists, some of whom are queer, to do this. Then they don't have the months for sale. And I think there's a reason for that. They can just make fake products and then say, oh, imagine if we had these. Yeah. I can't do that as a comedian. <laughs> I can't be like, here's my 10 fake jokes. Yeah. I don't have them. Yeah. But if I had them. You might enjoy them. Yeah. You hear that this is what they would be like. Cheaters. And thus we have our third ever upsetero. So uh, the, the sofa is the upsetero. Yes. The sofa is upset about uh, bisexuality. I mean, that is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, but do, if you're listening, do go look up these couches because They're they are wild. hideous. And, oh, oof. I would have the progress flag one. The one with the flowers, I would have that one. And ironically, I would have the lesbian flag one because that one fucks. Yeah. But the rest of them are, you know, that's the problem with being trans. Our flag sucks. What's the trans flag? It's the white, pink, blue. Oh. That was it blue, white, no, it is blue, pink, white, pink, blue, something like that. I should know my own flag. <laughs> this has been our episode. Thank you to anyone listening. We hope your sofa doesn't uh, judge you. <laughs>